welcome in to this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. We are uh, in weirdly sort of subdued non-baseball feeling weather climbs at the moment. And yet we are closer to the start of a minor league season. Than we have been in two years. I'm Tyler Mon. Sam Dexter's in New York City. Hi, Sam. Hi. Yeah, it is this kind of weird purgatory right now that we're in um, just because this is the closest. I mean, every day is the closest to minor league baseball we have been since 2019. Yeah, and that is a great feeling. Um, but also we're two weeks out now. Like we're not really in season preview mode yet in, in certain aspects and, and close. Yeah. And, and our interview this week is a season preview of sorts, of course. Um, but in terms of like looking at where guys are going yet, none of that is, is settled. All the farm directors I've talked to this week, nobody's, everybody's like, we're kind of in the wild west of figuring out where guys are going um, because they've been off for so long. And it's, it, it's like my anticipation couldn't be higher because not only am I looking forward to opening day, I'm looking forward to knowing more about opening day, uh, which is coming in a week itself. So it's like multiple dates that now I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, it just feels very, the anticipation is like overwhelming at this stage because yeah, not only is it our first season opening event in a couple of years, but also we have such different um, structures for how rosters are going to look, what teams are going to decide to push guys to full season levels, you know, more quickly in their careers, or who's going to decide that they want to see, um, you know, a little bit more in the complex level leagues, because there is none of that in between step now at uh, the rookie level or the class, a short season level. It's going to be an interesting uh, season to say the least, as we get uh, closer and closer to opening night of minor league baseball coming up in just a couple of weeks. Um, and we welcome you in actually, it was technically two weeks from yesterday. We're recording this segment on the 21st of April. So uh, the Wednesday, we recorded our next segment with our good pal, Benjamin Hill, which we'll hear uh, here coming up in a little bit yesterday. So that was technically two weeks until opening day, but we're getting there. We're getting very close to the start of the minor league season. And that is the thing that matters most as we uh, dive into some topics on this week's episode of the show. We'll have a conversation with Ben uh, and a member of one of the most creative front offices in all of minor league baseball coming up here in a little bit. Um, and we're, we're set to start talking about baseball and prospects and players in the context of where they are headed and all of that. But we're not there yet. Obviously, there are guys at the major league level who are making big impacts. But as of right now, we're still waiting on all of the on-field stuff on the minor league side, and we can't wait to get there. Uh, but we did have some off-the-field stuff this week that was very exciting, including the announcement on Monday that Copa de la Diversión is back for its technically fifth season. We're already five years into Copa. If you count the initial launch season, which was 2017, which is kind of a soft launch, only a handful of teams, but for 2018, 2019, I should say the fifth year, it's obviously missing the 2020 season, but five years uh, since Copa launched. Um, this is, is pretty cool that we're at a stage now where we're launching uh an on-field initiative for a season that is going to happen after we've been waiting for so long and copa right. is just one of the most unique things in sports and it's so exciting to see it back yeah it, it's funny i hadn't even considered where this really began uh in 2017 until you mentioned that and then i remember when it came out and it really was just a handful of teams and it, it was great it was a great celebration you know of the uh latino com community and um, you know, it, it was great to see that outpouring of support, um, but going both ways in, in those initial clubs that that started Copa um, to the point where year two, it really exploded. And now it's a mainstay. It's something every year that we look forward to in a big, big way. Um, it, so much of minor league baseball is celebrating the identities and local identities of these clubs, but local identities are not, you know, uniform. Uh, just because you are in a certain area doesn't mean it speaks for everybody. So Copa opens up and speaks to other parts of the community that may not be represented in the original identity. Um, so that's really fun to see ha happen every year. Um, we have some tweaks this year, which, which are great. And, and, you know, one that like, for instance, Pawtucket uh, is no longer. So Worcester is a team and we say goodbye or adios to the Osos Polares. But now we have Los Wipas, uh, which is, which is a lot of fun. Um, and it's just really cool to see this all come together. Tyler, you wrote literally the story on Copa this year. Um, so what stood out to you as you were going through some of the new identities and some of the clubs that are getting added in for 2020? Well, the thing that's been so cool about watching Copa evolve over the last few years is it's not just, oh, these are fun uniforms and cool logos and all of that. And we're trying to get fans uh, into the ballpark. It is. And of course, uh, this is 
from the official Copa page at MILB.com slash fan slash about hyphen Copa. Um, the season-long event uh, series, which specifically is designed to embrace the culture and values that resonate most with minor league baseball teams, local U.S. Hispanic communities, and it draws from four key pillars. Increasing awareness, authentic engagements, and attendance with U.S. Hispanics in their local communities. Embracing a culture that's passionate about baseball, family, and fun by updating the ballpark experience to match the values those fans cherish most. Creating and employing culturally relevant on-field personas that authentically connect teams with their local U.S. Hispanic communities. And amplifying minor league baseball's continuous efforts, including to diversify the game and business of baseball nationwide. What's been so neat over the last few years writing these launch stories for COPA is talking with various teams across the country about how they've engaged with their local communities, uh, Hispanic community leaders, Hispanic chambers of commerce, um, the process of coming up with, okay, what is the community identity here? What do we want our on-field uh, persona, the team, the name, the logo, the uniforms, all of that? How do we want that to reflect the community? Um, what do we want to do as far as, you know, I talked with Akron, who's a, a new entrant into the um, the COPA program this year. And Akron has local food vendors that have come out. They're going to be um, not just on COPA nights, they're going to be ballpark concession vendors now uh, for this season. I know there's a, a street corn food truck in the, in the Akron area that now is going to set up a, a vending um, spot on the concourse all season long. So engaging with those local businesses, small business owners, and um, those types of members of the community. And so it's really neat just to see how this has evolved. I mean, I think it's over 200 uh, civic and, and local organizations that uh, minor league teams have been able to engage with through the COPA program over the last several years. And that's don that's registered uh, over half a million dollars in donations, uh, whether in cash or gifts in kind um, to those uh, organizations, to their communities, all of that over the last couple of seasons. Um, COPA was something that we dearly missed in 2020. We were getting so close to launching what would have been the largest COPA field uh, in the history of this initiative. This year, in a different context, it is still that. Um, obviously, the the fewer minor league teams in total, um, there are fewer minor league teams participating in COPA, but the 76 teams that will participate this year, that's the highest percentage of minor league teams taking part in COPA. So they uh, are already in the process of getting everything set. You know, some teams are only doing three COPA games for, for this season. Some are doing double digit COPA games for this season. And it kind of varies um, by market as the identities do. And as the uh, promotions and all that stuff goes from market to market, but it's a lot of fun seeing how these things all come together. And I got a chance to talk to Akron and talk with uh, now Jersey Shore, formerly the Lakewood Blue Claws, and now the uh, Jersey Shore Blue Claws about their identities for this season. Um, and it's just so great seeing, you know, not only the way I felt like those two teams gave a very good um, kind of ends of the per, of the the spectrum perspective on Copa right now. You got the teams in the center that are just locked in and have an identity that's really worked and has really grown. Um, and they want to keep feeding off of that. Then you have the teams on one end of the spectrum, like Akron, who are brand new to this. They're the Peros Calientes, the hot dogs uh, for 2021. They did roll that out as an alternate identity in 2019, but it wasn't directly a Copa tie-in. Uh, it was kind of a dry run for Copa. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you get a, a team like Jersey Shore that just refreshed its full team identity going from the Lakewood name to the Jersey Shore name. And they want to capitalize on the, the Medusas logo and identity, which was uh, Medusas de Lakewood, now Medusas de Jersey Shore, uh, coming up with a, a new color scheme and some different looking uniforms and stuff for this year. So it's kind of cool. It gave us a perspective all across the, the Copa spectrum. Um, those ones I love. There are some, and you can go to uh, milb.com slash fans slash copa slash teams and we have all of the team logos all the team identities um the explainers kind of behind those identities you can get tickets you can get merchandise there are just so many good ones and you know there are the classic ones that are back uh you know the flying chanclas the san jose they're not going anywhere uh they've been a tremendously successful identity through the first couple of years of of copa on a, a full scale um rollout you know the the mariachis uh de nuevo mexico who are the two-time reigning copa champions the albuquerque isotopes uh copa identity they won the title the actual copa the fun cup itself in 2018 and 2019 um, those teams are back. Uh, the Caballeros uh, de Charlotte are back. The Charlotte Knights. El Paso will return as the Margaritas. Uh, Durham will be back as the Cervezas. Durham has kind of gone through a couple of different uh, Copa identities. And I really love their beers logo, the Cervezas logo, which is just a, a fun looking beer can with a lime on top. Um, but there are just some absolutely brilliant. The thing that I love about Copa is it goes from 
the kind of wacky minor league identities to also for my money, the most beautiful logos that we have in minor league baseball. Um, that's one of the things that I love most about it. And, you know, the team that I will forever identify um, that way is Hillsboro, the Sonia Doris uh, to Hillsboro, the dreamers, the logo, the word mark, the uniforms, everything that the Sonia Doris have come out with has been absolutely gorgeous. Um, Greensboro, the Ocelotes, the, uh, the Greensboro grasshoppers named after the, the Ocelots for their name um, is a, a gorgeous logo that kind of reminds me of legends of the hidden temple uh, back in the day on Nickelodeon. It's kind of got that feel to it, but in a very artistic looking way, uh, the Guerreros de Fayetteville, uh, another gorgeous logo. There are just so many different styles of logo. And I think minor league baseball logo creation in recent years, you could say has become a little bit homogenized. We know that there are, you know, just a few companies that handle a lot of that design. And so there are similar themes across a lot of, of minor league baseball rebrands in recent years. Um, but the thing that I love most about Copa is it brings out so many different unique looks. And I just think that's so beneficial for a program like this, um, the message that it gets out and the community that it engages in and builds with. Yeah, and and to your point about like going to this this Copa Teams page, I mean, just how colorful it is, just to scroll around, it, it is not homogenized in any way, uh, which I think speaks to you know Hispanic culture. It is not Hispanic culture is not homogenized in any way. It's not a monolith. And, and that's exactly. one thing that I actually talked about in a couple of interviews. It's fascinating how in some and not to cut you off, but in some communities, no, it's you know in in California, there's a, a heavy uh, Mexican American contingent that the so many of these team names are kind of grassroots have grown from those communities um, in various cities across the country, uh, large Puerto Rican immigration populations or Dominican Republic uh, has added so many, um, you know, especially up in the, in the New York city area, um, those communities or Cuban Americans in Florida, that type of stuff. So it's very cool to see how teams look at their local community and think what's best for, what does this group identify with their baseball love, their love of this area? How does this uh, personify that identity? Yeah. And I, and what I love about this too, isn't just how the colors pop, but just the stories that come out of this and how much you really do learn about a region and its people uh, based on the picks here. You, you can do that based off regular minor league team names. I get that. Um, but just these tell such different stories. And, and to your point about the Sonia Dores, like that's perfect. That's one that always comes to mind first for me, but also, Another one that always comes to mind as well is the Monarchist de Eugene. Yes, um, a brilliant one. It's it's just such a simple concept. Monarchas is just the monarch butterfly, uh, but it's it's colorful. It's got green. It's got yellow. It's got orange. It's mixing in really well. Um, but the reason why they chose Los Monarchas was because the butterfly obviously travels a great distance. It's a, it's a very migratory uh, insect, I guess, um, but it mirrors so well the migrant population um, that is settled around Eugene and that they really wanted to celebrate. Um, yeah, you can say it's a pretty butterfly and it looks good on a logo and leave it at that. But the fact that they thought, hey, what is a way we can celebrate people who have traveled a great distance, settled in our area, made our area better, made it more beautiful like the butterfly does. It, it's just such a great way of doing that. Um, and then you go through other ones and it's just like some of them feel obvious, but they're still great that they celebrate it. And the one that comes to mind for me is the San Jose churros. Um, yeah. There, there is the churro man, the churro man, San Jose, a legend. Yeah. Uh, Hippolito Serta. Uh, let's give him a shout out. But like, again, like Ben, when he's been to San Jose has written about churro man, people know about him. And this is a way it's not just celebrating him. It's, it's celebrating the whole culture, obviously, and, and the region's rich agriculture history, which is what they tie in here. But, um, just the fact that it, it's easy, but that's fine. That like, go for the easy one, go for celebrating somebody or some aspect of the culture that is not going to be celebrated in a hundred plus games. Otherwise, you know, they're normally the San Jose giants. There's an obvious reason why they do that. Um, but San Jose churros just feels that much more special. We can keep going throughout these, but, uh, one other one, I just want to shout out real quick is, uh, the Matamoscas de Medessa. Uh, which is the Midland Rockhounds, but it's literally just the fly squatters um, because, you know, according to this, it, it holds a multifaceted role in many Hispanic specialists, you know, households, bug control, discipline tool, and toy for the creative minds. Uh, it's just not something you're going to see again, like in normal day, but just like, Hey, what's a joke that everybody's kind of in on 
and thinks is funny, like the flying chonclas, like the matamosas. Yeah. Um, this is a real opportunity for that. And I, and I love when people actually have fun in this in the space and try to play it up a little bit more. And you can do that with literally anything. You can do that with the margaritas. You can do that with the cervezas. Um, you can do that with, uh, with a lot of these names that we have here, even the Lansing Locos seems simple, but again, it's just going to pop a little bit more than Lansing lug nuts would on your average night. Uh, so have fun going through this, um, find a hat that, that works best for you. Uh, maybe find several hats because Lord knows you're going to find a lot here that that'll add to your collection. If you're somebody sitting at home looking for ways to add to your hat rack in 2021. <laughs> I don't know anyone like that. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't say that because i've been staring at your hat rack the whole time i said that more as a person who like needs a hat rack that has I become really, one of my things in 2021 i only have one copa hat um i only have the uh the sonia doris the the hillsborough cap um this year i'm really going to need to change that i one of my biggest hat regrets i don't have many hat regrets there are two that i have uh one there is a uh, a team, and this is not related to uh, anything minor league uh, baseball centric, but um, there's a team in Japan that wore a hat, um, and I want to say it was the Tokyo Swallows. Now I'm not going to be able to remember who it was, but they wore a um, a cap that was just an insane actually now that i think about it they did not wear a hat version of this they only wore a uh, batting helmet version of this um but it was a just a bird's head it was like two eyes on either <laughs> side and the bill of the cap was the bill of the bird and i was in a store in tokyo a couple of years ago saw one did not buy it because it was like 55 dollars or something like that and i was like eh, i'm gonna get some stuff i don't know if i'm gonna spend 55 dollars on this hat i regret that um i also very much regret not getting um rocky mountain did a uh a, a copa identity as la Yaronias. uh right familiar with the, the movie curse of light Ronia, but there's a, a fable about a, a woman whose children are killed and she wanders the woods kind of in search of their uh, of their spirits and um rocky mountain did that those hats flew like crazy sold out in the blink of an eye and they have not been able to reproduce those hats as of yet so if you have a light Ronia's like fitted new era cap that's like uh you you've won the hat lottery uh, Cause they're idiots like me that are like, man, how much would I actually pay on eBay for one of these hats? So what I'm saying is if you like a Copa hat right now, go get it. Cause you never know they're right. that it's gone. Yeah. And what I think the good thing about this, you, you said before, some of these places are really trying to establish their Copa identity and make it a long-term thing, but some places are trying to be creative with it and change it often. Yeah. And, you know, like keep it a, a moving target and celebrate multiple things. Um, so if there is one you like now, it's not a guarantee that it'll be back next year. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, get on that as, as quick as you can. Yeah. Um, so you can check out the story at MILB.com about the launch of Copa. Um, you can head to the shop. I've already got both uh, Monarchus hats open on my browser right now, wondering if I want the black one. I think I'm going to go with this like lime green one with the white front. If you have like a pinwheel looking hat or just like a hat with like a normal colored crown, but a, a white front to the crown with your logo on it, that sucks me in every time. Uh, so I'm probably going to end up going with that one. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, a great conversation coming up this week with Benjamin Hill. Sam, give us the uh, the rundown. We're all in on this interview this week. Um, but getting a chance to dive into promotion schedules in 2021 and how different of a landscape that is. Yeah. So one, uh, you know, Ben in the past has done these. Um, how do I want to describe them? It, it's kind of like making of a promotion story. He did yeah, one last sort of year behind the music kind of thing. A little bit, yeah. And and he takes you behind the curtain in ways that nobody else really does in the industry. Uh, it's a real Ben's business. Especially he did one last year uh, going into the 2020 season. Uh, he's going to say this here in a little bit, but just to back him up, it was one of, if not the, I think it was the last story that he did before everything shut down was previewing a promotion coming from the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. Uh, obviously that didn't come together. So instead, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the season didn't happen. All those promos were kind of shelved. Ben wanted to revisit that with David Ratz, who works in the promotions department with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. So we're going to bring him on here in a little bit. Uh, but first, we're going to bring on Ben to explain that and some other things that he's been working on, including some very fun tarp stories. You'll hear what he means.
This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Benjamin Hill joins the show on this week's episode of uh, the newly redesigned the show before the show. We didn't get to talk to you about the new logo. How do you feel about the new logo, Ben? Oh, it looks sharp. I was it's glad good, to see right? uh, some some new uh, visual imagery associated with this audio format. Same. Very big fan. Uh, I very much enjoy it. And uh, as a, a guy who is so well-versed in that world, in the logo world, and in the rebrand world, and in all of that, we uh, dive into your bread and butter this week with the uh, promotions world. And we'll talk about that here coming up in a little bit. But before we get to that, um, there's been a story that you've been working on for uh, a little while that is set to run on the site. We're recording your segment here on uh, on Tuesday and it's set for tomorrow. So it should be up on the site by the time you all hear this about the wonderful, wide, wacky, amazing world of minor league baseball and tarp pulls. Uh, give us the lowdown on this, on this story that will give so many of us uh, PTSD flashbacks to the smell of a wet tarp. It will. Well, first of all, and this is a common uh, common scenario for me these days, I forgot that we're doing this. Uh, we're talking right now on a Tuesday. Uh, this story will actually run on Thursday. So, hey, don't get Thursday. too excited. Okay. It's going to come well, out on Thursday. It'll be fresher for people who are listening to the show on Thursday. That's right. That's right. Um, I was thinking here it was Wednesday, but it is Tuesday. On Thursday, April 22nd, Earth Day, uh, appropriately enough, because uh, one thing you can't control uh, in the world of minor league baseball is, are the elements, Mother Nature, the Earth. And if you work in minor league baseball, you know, I mean, Tyler, you know firsthand that uh, tarp pulling is a fact of life and front office staffs are limited. And so everyone has to pitch in when there's a tarp pull. It's not like minor league teams have a uh, you know 15 person ground grounds crew that can just handle it on their own so if you work in minor league baseball you pull tarp all the time of course it depends where you know how big your front office is and what kind of weather you get in your market but across the country no matter what you're doing a gm community relations director promotions director food and beverage you're probably going to end up on the field pulling tarp so uh yeah the story's a long time in the making it uh It's finally uh, going to come out on the site, and it's just people throughout minor league baseball sharing some of their more uh, hilarious slash terrifying tarp pull stories. Uh, you know, getting caught by the quote unquote tarp tarp monster. Um, you know, falling down, getting covered by the tarp, um, the tarp blowing away, uh, a no hitter that happened because the tarp blew away, and so therefore the pitcher got a range short and no hitter. Um, all sorts of uh, scenarios, but focusing on the so the bloopers and the terrifying moments when uh, people just. Uh, off a little more than they than they could chew tarp pull wise uh you know common term is i ate it i ate it and the mound i learned this too is if you're doing pulling tarp uh if you're one of the last people out there probably the spot only the only spot left is the one that goes over the mound so when you're pulling tarp wet rainy slippery and you have to be aware of the mound that's where a lot of the accidents happen because you trip over the mound as you're pulling the tarp across the field so a lot of the stories uh revolved around that getting caught up in the mound and swallowed by the tarp monster so it's it's a fun story and tyler i imagine uh you're not quoted in this story but i imagine you probably have some of your own experiences through the years yeah i don't thankfully remember ever getting caught by the tarp monster i know we had people who certainly were um but the mound is definitely the trickiest part because your instinct when you're pulling tarp is to look back at it as you're pulling it and then when something comes up in your you know your field of i guess not that's a terrible pun but in the uh in the literal field in front of you uh that is going to change your your elevation it's yeah very easy to get tripped and caught up um yeah i don't have any like super crazy tarp pull stories that i remember but i do remember uh multiple games 
where opposing team front offices had tarp issues and i remember one uh you know we were playing in a when i was working in the carolina league we were playing a game in kinston against uh the then kinston indians now the that ballpark the home of the down east wood ducks and um it was pouring pouring rain and it was the type of game i think if i remember right it was like very shortly before the all-star break it was a game that had a pretty heavy impact on the standings were like both in the, in the running for the, the division title, the South division, the Carolina league at that point. So the umpires let the game go for a while while it was just dumping rain. And by the time they gave the front office, the go ahead to pull the tarp, it was raining so hard that they got it about a third of the way across the infield. And then it was so waterlogged, they couldn't move it. So the tarp sat overnight covering one third of the infield. They had to postpone that game. I don't even know if we ended up playing the next day because it was such a bad rainstorm. But yeah, that was uh, that was insanity. My favorite story, though, is the absence of a tarp. We played the longest game in Carolina League history, which also was in Kinston. Played 23 innings one day. We were supposed to get on the bus that night and go to uh, Potomac to play the Nationals the next day. And uh, Potomac's front office was a little... Uh, undermanned shall we say and they had an overnight insane rainstorm and nobody showed up to pull the tarp so the next day we got rained out it was like 70 degrees and perfect but because the rain had been so bad the night before we didn't end up having to play that game so that one i was okay with after having done 23 innings the day before but yeah it's really uh the tarp pool world is really quite a it's it's a bonding thing in minor league baseball like no other and ben i don't know if you've written this because i'm gonna read it on thursday like everybody else but have you ever witnessed something at, at one of the games because you know, as part of your travel, sometimes you get involved in rainouts and all you can really see is what happens behind the scenes in that way. So have you ever seen any crazy tarp stories yourself? Not a crazy one, not nothing crazy enough that I was felt merited inclusion in the story. But yeah, vis, uh, traveling the minor leagues over 10 years, you see a lot of tarp pulls. And it's funny, you know, I've been doing interviews with front office staffers and they're like, oh, got to go. Because when that uh, call comes to pull tarp, you know, it's a literally drop whatever else you're doing and pull tarp. And um, so I just I've witnessed it more just incidentally how it's woven into the fabric of the day to day lives of everyone who works in minor league baseball. And, you know, anyone who does has tarp clothes at the office where, um, you know, if there's the opportunity, sometimes you just have to go out there and whatever you're wearing. Uh, one little anecdote I mentioned briefly is the Lynchburg Hillcats had a promotion on opening night where they made it a formal opening night ball and then they had to pull tarp. So you have all this front office staff, you know, in like tuxedos and like gowns and whatnot uh, pulling tarp. But uh, if you do work in minor league baseball, you, um, you have tarp clothes. Uh, that you always have on hand. If there's ever the opportunity, you uh, you know you change into them, or you're just wearing them because it's already a foreboding forecast. You know, whatever uh, basketball shorts and beat up sneakers and old t-shirts and that kind of thing. So it's just woven into the fabric of existence. And you know, Tyler hit on some you know important points is that the team decides when to pull tarp. You know, if the game's not going on, but when it's the game, the game's going on, then it's the umpire's decision. Uh, I had so many stories to work with. One, I I ended up removing from the story just because this my original draft of this was like twenty three hundred words, and I really tried to cut it down. But there was a story in Lakewood where the groundskeeper of the Lakewood Blue Claws got ejected from a game because he was arguing so much with the umpires, like you know, and you know, groundskeepers they're really territorial yes. and it's their field, you know, that's how, you know, get off my field. This is my field. And so when the ump is just the umpiring crew is deciding not to put the tarp on the field, this groundskeeper got so mad that he got ejected from the game. That's amazing. Um, and I don't know, he was ejected. I don't know if he was then able to then pull tarp once it finally went on the field, but, uh, you know, groundskeepers ejections, quintessential minor league baseball. And, uh, yeah. And as Tyler alluded to, like, you got to pull tarp whenever like Potomac wasn't able to that time, you know, you might get a text at like six in the morning on your day off. Like, Oh, we need to, <laughs> we need to pull tarp right now. To pull tarp. Yeah. That is uh, it's quite a feeling that the, the group text from the groundskeeper and the, the crackling of the front office radio, like the walkie talkie handsets. Those are the two things that you dread the most when you don't <laughs> want to put on your tarp clothes and run down and pull tarp. It's uh, it's quite a culture. This is bringing back so many memories. Um, ben, a, uh, a great story that'll be up on the site on Thursday and uh, now sets a pivot to our interview this week, which you set up perfectly in telling us um, kind of the context and the history of this interview, but give us the, uh, the introduction to uh, our four, person conversation this week we were all on it 
Right. Four-person interview. I think we handled it admirably. I thought it was good. But you be the judge, listeners, because uh, this segment will start very soon. Uh, but finally, after such a delay, 2021 promo schedules are coming out, and uh, one of the teams that has released a full schedule, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, uh, doing some of the most creative promotions in the game. Their promotions director is David Ratz, uh, one of the most creative minds in the game, developing promo schedules. So we talked to him and what when it, what goes into making a promo schedule in general, and more specifically, what went into it this year uh, in terms of coming off a season that didn't happen, what made it in, what didn't, what had to be adjusted, and all those kind of things. And uh, as I mentioned in the lead up to this uh, to our conversation, this is essentially part five of a uh, four-part series that I did last year about the 2020 promo schedule. And uh, this is kind of the sequel, saying, okay, finally, games are going to start and promotions are going to happen and what went into it. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today. I'm Ben Hill on the Show Before the Show podcast with Tyler Bond, with Sam Dykstra, and as if that was not enough, with a guest, David Ratz, Promotions Director. I believe that is the official title, Promotions Director, Promotions Coordinator, Director of Promotions for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, who just released their 2021 promo schedule full of all sorts of fun, creative, goofy stuff. Um, so that's a great thing to talk about in general, but uh, to give a little context to this conversation, last year throughout the offseason of 2019-2020, which is technically still the same offseason we're in now since there was not a 2020 season, but back when things were normal, I did a four-part series on MILB.com speaking to David along the way just about how a promo schedule gets put together, and the last installment of that series was the last article I wrote during quote-unquote normal times. And basically, as soon as that article appeared saying, here's all the crazy things that Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp are doing, then the season got delayed, eventually canceled. And here we are with part five of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp making of a promo schedule one year later as we head into 2021 and so close to actually playing games and having great promotions. David, thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, always fun to talk with uh, talk with you and uh, everybody else. Uh, and you know, it's, it, it, we're we're excited. Two weeks uh, from today. Not sure when this is dropping on the uh, inner tubes, but two weeks from the day we're recording this is our opening day. And uh, God, I am super excited. And um, honestly, just get emotional thinking about it. I know it's going to be an interesting night for everyone uh, around the league for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in looking at the promo schedule, uh, you have a lot of holdovers from 2020. Uh, your, your Miami Vice-themed uh, Vice Night. The uh, I know one you were really excited about, the Salute to the Cozy Coupe, America's favorite car, the iconic toy car. Uh, but then there's some that are missing from 2020 and some new 2021 additions. So speaking broadly, uh, since you had a whole year to work on the 2021 schedule after 2020 didn't happen, uh, what was your strategy in putting it together in terms of what carried over, what didn't, what was added? Uh, had it been a very unique process for you and everyone in the in the industry dealing with this? Yeah, it was um, it was strange for sure. But to your point, it was kind of like, okay, we we like what we had in 2020. What can carry over? What are we going to be allowed to execute um, based on restrictions? A lot of that was up in the air. Some of the things we just knew, you know, hey, this isn't going to work because we, we just, our new restrictions, whether it's dealing with fans or access to the field, all kinds of stuff, you know, just, it was going to be challenging. And some of those, the idea was awesome. And, you know, some of those got pushed to 2022, honestly, because it's a cool idea we really loved. We know we'll be able to execute it in 2022. Um, so some of that stuff got pushed. Um Probably 75% of the calendar this year is 2020 that we had uh, and then filled it in with another 25% of, okay, these are some new parameters to work with. What can we do, you know, to fill it in, to self-deprecate a little bit and make fun of our situation, but not using it as a crutch or an excuse. 
Um, and then, you know, the ones that we were able to carry over from 2020, how can we still do them? How can we make them better? What are other elements that we can do, whether it's a different part of the ballpark, kind of stuff like that. So, um, you know, and, and then taking some successful ones that we've had proven track record with like the vice night and adding a second vice night to the calendar, just because the, the response we've gotten when we've released jerseys and giveaways has been so, so great. We decided we could add another one of those. So it's, it's been an interesting year of trying to come up with, um, you know, how, what we can do. Um, but the good news is a lot of the stuff was already conceptualized back in 2019 for the 2020 year. So, you know, while it is challenging, there is a little bit less to come up with this year because you can kind of carry over and tweak some ideas. Well, a, a two-pronged follow-up to that. What is a promotion on the 2020 schedule that did not carry over and what was the reasons behind that? And uh, as kind of as a follow-up to that, uh, what is something you were able to add in 2021 that was brand new? Uh, so 2020... The one that we are pushing to 2022, which I was super excited about and now is in storage, was our um, deaf blind awareness night. We have partnered with the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind, which is 20, 25 minutes down the road. Uh, Ray Charles, their most famous alum, we reached out to the Ray Charles Foundation. We have permission to do a bobblehead in his likeness. So we have a Ray Charles bobblehead all ready to go. The school was going to come up and participate in the evening. Um, and for those that aren't familiar, it's a boarding school. So the students go home on the weekends and around holidays, they're only in town during the week. But the school is not traveling, obviously, because of COVID and everything. And, you know, the, the promotion, while it's cool to give away a bobblehead, the whole point behind it was to get the school and the students involved. So they can't come out this year. So we have pushed that with the blessing of, you know, the school and Ray's foundation to 2022 so that we actually can have the students come out and participate. Um, my, my favorite thing about the promotion is the student high school band named themselves the out of sight band, um, which is great. And when I was first told that on the phone, I started laughing and then immediately apologized. And the, uh, the you know, the, the, the head, uh, head lady at the school was like, no, 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 it's okay. They named themselves. They think it's funny too. They want everyone to laugh at it. This is great. So, um, that has been pushed to 2022. I got a thousand Ray Charles bobbleheads that are now in storage offsite for another year. Um, and then one that I'm super cool that we added this year um, is our full-fledged Pride Night. Uh, you know, it wasn't on the calendar in 2020. We were still doing some final tweaks and stuff. But with this offseason and able to, to, you know, get a lot more stuff done, um, June 10 uh thursday june 10 is uh jumbo shrimp pride night which i'm super excited about um got some great organizations in town we're uh, partnering with uh, which is going to be really fun and, and kind of piggybacking off that then what on um, that was on the 2020 schedule for you guys promo wise are you most excited to see out in the world like looking back at the that story that ben wrote like there are a lot of things that have carried over thinking about like appetite for crustacean um, which is a Guns N' Roses tribute night, uh, which is going to be happening for you guys on May 28th. But, uh, you know, what are you most excited to finally see, like, after 13 months now going through this? For sure. Um, it's funny you mentioned that one. That one is probably one of my favorites, just as a GNR fan uh, in that art we have. I've spent the entire offseason tagging them in posts, trying to get a cease and desist because I, I want that badge of honor. Um that and honestly the cozy coop just there's so much into it and everyone on board really has been uh behind it as well like the golf cart company is still giving us that golf cart to trade and give away that's looking like a cozy coop i mean the, the whole elements with that um while we can't do stuff on the field we still have the rest of the stadium to do stuff with i even found this off season they released a special um it's 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 all white the cozy coop is white and it comes with all these permanent markers so you can like create your own and it's one of the versions that little tykes released so now we've added even more to the night because we'll have a you know create your own cozy coop and then at the end of the night have fans vote on that as well as everything else that was going to go on honestly that one probably the most just because uh i mean you guys know in this industry it's a lot of i mean r d stands for rip off and duplicate that's what we do um but it's kind of cool that this one, I've not seen anything around the Cozy Coop or Little Tykes or, you know, baby toys or anything like that. So that's probably the one that I'm looking forward to the most. 
David, from the standpoint of getting ready for a, a season following a pandemic, this is, I guess, a little bit more of a philosophical question than a, a totally um, on the field practical one. But you guys have some really great uh, kind of eclectic, esoteric sort of promotions. Like I remember the one from last year when I was looking back at Ben's story, Will It Waffle, which was set for August 4th, which almost reminds me of like an old David Letterman bit where you're going to bring a bunch of stuff out onto the field uh, and just throw it into a waffle iron and see if it will waffle or what will happen with it um do you feel like 2020 made it more of an open season for fun stuff like that where you can just kind of throw anything at the wall and see okay well what's the next thing that's wacky that we can do or is it kind of doubled you down into okay what are the more traditional promotions like how has the the loss of a season uh affected the mindset in that regard in promotions um that's a great question i don't know from that standpoint that it did i mean that's kind of been one of the things that we've always strived for was the random off the wall stuff like the will it waffle i mean and to your point that the letterman stuff is exactly where you know it my mind went i mean growing up watching dave and seeing him drop stuff off a building or do stuff out in the alleyway um, i still sing the will it float song every once in a while around my house so i i get it that's outstanding that's outstanding um <laughs> and but then you know like salute to paper products night is that self-deprecating like okay how can we do a promotion for like the cheapest because obviously everyone's budgets are stretched so it's like you know what we're gonna buy paper plates and paper napkins and paper towels and we're gonna play games with all of them and just call it salute to paper products night and just kind of make fun of the fact we have zero budget to do this stuff um you know fortunately our ownership has allowed us to keep some of our budget but yeah i mean stuff like that it's just the 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 random stuff that we can do with zero dollars like that another one that kind of jumps out to me that we added this year in that same vein um is the world's largest texas hold'em hand i mean you know we bought what 200 decks of cards for like 200 dollars, and everyone gets their two hold cards as they walk in and we release the river the flop the turn on the video board who stop by guest services if you think you have the highest hand and you win something for the night and because everyone gets the cards for free, there's no gambling issues if you're listening minor league baseball overlords. Um, but something like that, and that actually took the place of Monopoly night that we had last year, where we were going to give everyone a Monopoly deed and encourage them to trade with other fans. But we didn't want to encourage the hand-to-hand combat with other fans, so everyone just gets their two cards to hold. They don't have to go trade them, and it's kind of the same cheap uh, interaction, entertainment Oh man, I, I love that idea so much. And and one other big change for you guys, it, it even hit me just going through the promo schedule. You guys are a triple A club right now. Um, so much of this is like we talked about, like is holdovers or holdovers from 2019 when you guys were a double A club in the Southern League. Now you're a triple A club in this triple A East new setup. Does that change anything from a promo uh, you know, standpoint? Like, does that affect anything from where you sit? Um. No, not this year anyway. Um, you know, obviously, if we were still allowed down on the field and had kids running out for the anthems and first pitches and all that stuff, I mean, I, you know, I've heard having not worked in AAA, you always hear AAA players maybe different. I, I, I don't know. This year, no, because, I mean, we'll have zero field access. We won't really have any interaction with the players or, you know, requests of them during the season. Um so honestly, I mean, from a promotional standpoint, double A, triple A, single A, as long as I have some budget to do some stuff and some games to put stuff out there, it really doesn't matter uh, to me. Fortunately, I've been outside of that kind of changeover from double A AA to triple A, but from hearing the swearing down the hallway every day, I know it's a, a giant undertaking, that's for sure. And uh, David, uh, this is some of the stuff that we've uh, you know talked about in throughout the four-part promo series uh, that ran last year, but um, you know, I would say you know I cover the industry that you and the Jumbo Shrimp are, are creating some of the most uh, creative and fun promotions in the game. Um, as Tyler mentioned, with uh, Will It Waffle, that kind of stuff, a real reverent spirit. Um, what is your overall philosophy in creating a promo schedule in terms of? Um, you know, the many moods of minor league baseball trying to be fun and zany and also community oriented and also uh, why, uh, mainstream appeal while also doing niche stuff that, uh, you know, appeals to like a specific part of the fan base. Uh, yeah. What's your larger strategy in uh, doing this job? And, 
Are there people throughout the industry or teams throughout the industry that, uh, you know, you turn to for, you know, conversation or inspiration uh, in putting something like this together? Yeah. Um, kind of a two-part answer. To, I mean, to your point, minor league baseball, you know, it, it is family first. I mean, that's, it's, you know, if you can get a young mother or a mother to bring their kids and family out there, they control the purse strings of the family. I mean, that's first and foremost, a fun, friendly environment for families to come out and have fun. Now that that's out of the way, um, I, you know, my background was in radio promotions. I did, was a promotions director for six radio stations for 13, 14 years. And the strategy was how close can we get to that line without crossing it and getting in trouble? And that has been my mindset from, from day one is, you know, how can we get attention? How can we make people say, wow, that's nuts uh, without crossing that line and getting into trouble? Every now and then, are you going to dip a toe over that line and, and get stepped on? Sure, it happens. Um, but that's kind of, you know, has been my strategy since I've been here is what can we do to make people like notice us, um, but while also entertaining the fans, not offending the fans. Um, and just, you know, if, if someone can come out to a game and have fun at the promotion, if someone halfway across the country just reads the promotional calendar and gets a great chuckle out of it, then that's cool too. You know, um, we just want to provide entertainment for people um, without a doubt. And then was there a second part of that question? I apologize. That's okay. That's, that's the problem with the long and rambling question is uh, there's a lot to cover. Nice. I was just saying in, uh, you know, following up on the philosophical things that you just uh, spoke to, um, in terms of looking around the industry and um, you know working with your peers or drawing inspiration, um, you know you bring a radio background, which I think is pretty unique in the industry. And um, you know, no offense, I think we're the same age, but uh, you know you're older than most promotions directors as well, which I think speaks to in a lot of ways. You know, experience is great, uh, but coming from radio into minor league baseball, um, you know, what teams did you look look to, and uh, what what are things you learned from diving into the industry headfirst in that way? Nice. Uh, no offense taken. Yes, we, we are the same age. Uh, unfortunately, that age begins with a four, but what are you going to do? Um, yeah. So it, it's funny. I still, you know, I'll go back to, and you know, Ben, you and I and other conversations talked to you about it. Uh, Hunter and Myrtle Beach and then Nate, who was in Charleston. Um, I mean, the three of us have a group text that has been going for years. I mean, you know, we, we talk all the time about ideas about, you know, hey, I need help with this issue, stuff like that. Um, those guys are cool. Uh, we, we get along great. We talk all the lot. Um, Steve Richards down at Round Rock, he and I talk every now and then, um, more on the event side and stuff. Uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's a ton of teams that are doing great stuff. El Paso does awesome promotions as well. The Yard Goats, I mean, um, all kinds of people. And then, you know, up in Akron, um, the other team that is in our ownership group that, uh, Ken Babby owns the Kyle up in Akron is doing a, a good job and kind of seeing him come into his own a little bit. So, I mean, we talk a lot as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. And, and you bring up the age thing and that is the one part where I do struggle is, and I rely on the staff here in the building is, you know, I mean, they're 15, 20 years younger than me. So they're a lot, up, a lot more up on the current trend. So our promotions meetings will, you know, I'll have these fun off the wall ideas that may speak to the people in their mid thirties and forties. But if we're going after the young crowd, I'm leaning on them because they know a lot more about, you know, the trendy stuff, the, the, the what's new, the what's going to get that cr crowd out here and excited on like thirsty Thursday, as opposed to, you know, the Seinfeld nights are great, but at some point that's going to start wearing off as the, the people coming out are getting younger and younger. Yeah, and having uh, your agent experience allows for promotions such as the Gen X Olympics, which I saw on the calendar. So uh, hitting that very specific demographic. And uh, just to wrap up, uh, just to you know, just uh, keep it lighthearted. And I think this was a new addition to 2021. Uh, is it Brown Bag at Night, where people can buy booze in a brown paper bag, uh, not know what they're getting, two dollars each? Uh, explain that one is uh, a very quintessential minor league endeavor. Yeah. So, you know, as every minor league promo director knows, if you got a night where there's nothing on there, it's like, eh, let's pop open the international day of the week calendar and see what's there. And as it just so happens, uh, 525 is national brown bag day. So, uh, you know, 
a good uh, a good time to get those random one-off beers that may be coming up on their expiration date out into the hands of the drinking public. So uh, we're going to buy some brown bags, F&Bs all on board, and uh, two bucks, you get a, a random mystery beer and a brown bag day. And, uh, there you have National Brown Bag Day. So a little self-deprecating, a little uh, inventory management, and uh, a little, um, you know, lubricating the crowd. Well, there you have it. 2021 Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp Promotions, lubricating the crowd, rocking out the Guns and Roses, and many, many other things. David, thanks so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom, expertise, hard-earned experience through uh, many years of life. And um, was that a was that a another age joke right there? Hey, I'm right there with you. <laughs> thanks, guys. It's been a lot of I'm fun. I'm looking forward to the Gen X Olympics and uh, looking forward to yeah, looking forward to seeing how these things go in 2021. Thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show before the show podcast. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. And that will just about do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Before we get out of here, though, time for this week's edition of Better Know an Affiliate Structure. I should have come up with a better name than Affiliate Structure. I was thinking about that last night. Better Know a Farm System. But we're going through five farm systems on every edition of this. Better Know a Divisions Farm Systems. That's not That doesn't no, roll off there, the tongue. There really is no way to make this no. just flow. <laughs> Uh, better known affiliate structure at this point has just been stuck in my crawl it's ever canon. since we started this. It yeah. is now canon on this yeah. podcast. Uh, we can't recon that name. I'm sorry. I love when we do production meetings in the middle of the show, which is one of my specialties. Um, but we're going to dive into the American League Central this week. We took you through the ALS last week. AL Central is up this week. Here's how it works. Minor League Baseball restructure over the offseason, dropping things down to four minor league affiliates in each organization, all of them at the full season levels, AAA, AA, High A, and Low A. We will go through all four affiliates for all five teams in a given division week to week. And this week, it is the American League Central, which kicks off with the Chicago White Sox, who see no changes in terms of their teams affiliated. They do see one change. Uh, actually, no, check that. They don't see a change in level. We've been so often seeing the flip-flop of high A and low A in teams that have their affiliates located in the Carolinas, sort of in the, the Southeast. I forgot that the White Sox are actually uh, the rare exception to that. They keep Charlotte at AAA, Birmingham at AA. Winston-Salem stays at high A. A lot of those former Carolina League teams have dropped down to low A. Winston-Salem will stay in high A. And the formerly uh, Class A full season, Canapolis Cannonballers, they will stay essentially at that same level at low A, uh, formerly in the South Atlantic League, and now a low A league affiliate. And uh, moving over to the Cleveland Indians, one that – is very centralized, about as centralized as you're going to get it. No, that was not an AL Central pun. Uh, but at AAA, they have the Columbus Clippers. No change there. Uh, AA Akron Rubber Ducks, again, makes too much sense. Uh, Akron only being 38 miles uh, from Progressive Field. And then you've got below them, this is an actual change. The Lake County Captains moved from low A to high A, uh, part of the old Midwest League. Uh, that group is now moving up to high A. So if you're in the Lake County area, uh, you're used to seeing guys just getting started. You might see some college draft picks this year or, you know, some more experienced players for sure. That's only 18 miles uh, away from the stadium in Cleveland. And then at low A is the Lynchburg Hillcats over in Virginia. So if you got three Ohio teams at the top three rungs of the ladder and then a Virginia team at low A, basically if you wanted to design a system like this is the way you would do it. Um, you know, you start a little bit further away, but it's in a warmer climate and you, I, I guess you could say Virginia is a warmer climate than Ohio. Uh, and you get closer and closer and closer to the major league team and you never really stray that far, the higher you go. Um, so this seems kind of like one of the gold standards when they were making these affiliate structures, given all the goals that they had for doing this. Um, so Tyler, over to you with the Detroit Tigers. It's interesting because the top three teams uh, alphabetically in this division, they don't have any changes among the uh, affiliated clubs. They do just have those changes in level. Chicago actually is the only team in baseball, the White Sox uh, to keep the same four affiliates at the same four levels. Cleveland keeps the same four affiliates. They do have that one level swap in the Detroit Tigers the same way. So they keep Toledo at AAA and Erie at AA. Their former high A team, uh, the Lakeland Flying Tigers, they are now the low A club and their former low a club the west michigan whitecaps are now the high a affiliates so um 
Three teams very, very close. Toledo at AAA, just 61 miles away from Comerica Park. AA Erie, 270 miles away. That's a long-time affiliation as well. And West Michigan uh, on the other side of the state, 161 miles away, um, but pretty well uh, located all around the the Motown area, give or take uh, a couple of hundred miles, with the exception of Lakeland, which, of course, is uh, the home of the Tiger Spring Training Facility and now home to the Loe Lakeland Flying Tigers. Sam, the Kansas City Royals organization. Yeah, the Kansas City Royals um, is one I'm going to definitely have to get used to, I think, in, in 2021. Not at the t- first two stops here, which are Omaha at AAA and Northwest Arkansas at AA. Those are two mainstays, been there for a very long time. At High A, their new High A affiliate is the Quad City River Bandits. Um, that's going to take some getting used to for sure, not only because of the level change. Again, another Midwest League team that is moving up to High A, uh, but also just a change in affiliate. That's going to take a little while uh, to get used to. And then at low A uh, is the Columbia Fireflies. And if you can remember, I think Columbia was one of the first teams that found out it was not going to have its affiliation with the Mets anymore. Um, Things were getting changed over there. Columbia very slyly said, don't worry, we're not worried. Um, You know, things will come together. We already have plans in place. And, And after a while, it became clear that they were going to be joining the Kansas City Royals system. So good to have Columbia still around. That's a that's a pretty new uh, ballpark down there in, in South Carolina. Um, so they're going to be sticking around there. And the Royals have actually already made use of their affiliation with the Fireflies. They've been holding a mini camp uh, down there in, in Columbia. Uh, so uh, kind of cool to see that really coalesce very quickly. Uh, and then rounding out the group here, Tyler, with you with the Minnesota Twins. That's a system that looks very different at the upper levels, uh, including one of the newest franchises in all of minor league baseball, at least in terms of its affiliated status, the St. Paul Saints. And I would imagine that's the closest affiliation between a major league affiliate and its minor league affiliate, 10 miles separating uh, the St. Paul Saints in St. Paul, Minnesota from the Minnesota Twins in Minneapolis uh, at Target Field. Wichita Wind Surge come into the system. It'll be their first year as a franchise, originally slated to be a AAA affiliate of the Miami Marlins. Then through the restructuring, they dropped down to AA uh, and now in Wichita as the affiliate of the Minnesota Twins, which I think geographically makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of Twins fans in that area. Obviously, it's a a Kansas City slash maybe Chicago slash St. Louis um, geographic footprint for baseball fans. But um, throughout the Midwest, Minnesota sports fans are all over the place. And I feel like that um, partnership makes a lot of sense for that new franchise in Wichita. Uh, The Cedar Rapids Colonels, longtime low A affiliate of the twins. That team moves up to high A and the Fort Myers mighty muscles drops down to low A Uh, Fort Myers, of course, formerly known as the miracle rebranded a couple of years ago. They have been uh, with the twins for a long, long time since 1993. And uh, those are the new affiliates in the American league central. There is one other note. As far as affiliates go, um, the Sugarland Skeeters have officially been purchased by the Houston Astros. That was a deal that was uh, a little while in the making. Um, we knew that it was coming at some point, but it had to be approved by the Sugarland City Council. Um, so uh, a lease extension, um, which will keep that team at its ballpark through at least 2045, has been approved. Um, Sugarland is now an affiliated club after being uh, with the Atlantic League in the independent ranks from 2012 through 2020. So um, that's a, a big step you know to solidify that astros uh piece of the puzzle and their affiliation family doesn't 2045 seem like it's uh, the crazy future yeah like, like it's one of the, i can't even fathom years? that date yeah no yeah. i'm with you i'm with you yeah but it's like we hear uh, stadiums get extending their leases for decades and that kind of like if you told me oh they extended it for 25 years i'd be like oh good for them like right. that, that happens all the time but then all of a sudden it's like yeah they'll be there through 2045 and i'm like oh no 2045. I start doing math real quick and it doesn't yeah, add up well. I don't even want to think about that from my own standpoint. Well, podcasts uh, exist in 2045. Yeah, exactly. Will society? Um, <laughs> we got to be optimistic about it. Well, the funny thing is, too, like there are so few uh, minor league ballparks that you think back, like, okay, that's 24 years from now, let's say 25. There's so few minor league ballparks that you look back 25 years ago and see still in existence or still in usage because we've had such a boom over the first couple of decades uh, of this millennium and building new ballparks. And so it is just kind of crazy to think like, Oh, 25 years, who knows what things are going to look like then. Right. Yeah. What, what will be like the big ballpark features? Like MLB the show just came out and there's design a ballpark feature and everybody's making a big deal because they put uh, in their trailer, like a spaceship. 
right. in center field. By 2045, I mean, I guess it's possible. It's possible. You could just have, you know, people, uh, I would not put it past owners and teams to be like, hey, we're going to put a floating structure in center field and you can buy tickets to that thing. I do very much want to get the new version of the show. I bought last year's um, and I was like, you know, I'll probably, this will be, I usually buy a copy of the show like once every five years. I don't know. Um, but now there's a create a ballpark feature. Now I'm like, well, of course I want that. This is how they get you. I mean, this is how, well, for me, this is how they're not getting me is because my PlayStation 4 died Ah, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, which is a terrible time Yeah, for that to to crap the bed. Um, So I decided I'm going to wait till I can get a PS5, except nobody can buy one of those. Right, right. That is true. Um, So I'm just sitting here without a... So if anybody wants to, you know, has a hookup, I will pay full price. I have no problem yeah. paying full price. I just, I don't want to sit on the target page anymore, refreshing constantly. And, you know, Sam and I did uh, games and broadcasts to much critical acclaim last year. Which were so much fun. So much fun. So if the folks at Sony are listening or at San Diego Studios or wherever, we will take new consoles and new games. It's not too much to ask. <laughs> it's not too much to ask, right? No, I mean, it's not too much for me to ask for me. <laughs> it's not too much for us to ask. Yeah. And that's really what this all comes down to. Um, So with that, we will uh, wrap up this latest edition of the show before the show. You can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com and uh, give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all of that. And uh, let us know your questions, your thoughts, your comments on uh, your favorite Copa logos, or uh, if you're planning on snagging tickets, headed to a minor league game soon. It is really cool seeing day after day on social media, more teams posting their ticket plans and, places where you can go for information about getting tickets and finding your seats and all of that. And uh, we're getting there less than two weeks, the two week warning. It's crazy. Uh, But for Sam Dexter, I'm Tyler mom. We'll talk to you next week.